0: You don't need me as your therapist. This is actually work that you can do and it will vastly support you the more you do it outside of our work together. And then when you come back, we're gonna keep making those milestones. And I'm gonna ask you, how did the work go? And you're gonna say, this is where I struggled or I had no time for this. And so then we're gonna do more habit stacking. We're gonna tweak what wasn't right for your individual body. And we're gonna make it more precise. And this is where the work isn't cookie cutter and it's not prescriptive. And I can't tell you, Lindsay, it's only gonna be four sets. It's only going to be six because guess what? I'm listening to you as a living, breathing, beautiful person who gets their body
1: better than I ever will. This is Pros Talk Pregnancy, the no BS show that's not afraid to get real about all things pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and beyond. I'm talking with visionaries and game changers who are challenging the status quo and changing the world, one pregnancy and one birth at a time. I'm Lindsay McCoy, mom of four, lover of the mountains, seeker of knowledge, exercise physiologist, birth doula, and childbirth educator. Basically, I'm an all around pregnancy and birth nerd. My passion is making pregnancy, childbirth, and recovery better. And empowering professionals and families alike are you ready let's go all right welcome everyone welcome to the podcast i'm excited today to have lindsay vestal we're going to be speaking about all things pelvic floor so welcome lindsay tell us who you are what you do why you do it all the good first of all
0: i am just thrilled to be joining you for this lindsay i i just think you are an incredible pioneer and such a trailblazer for birthing people everywhere. So thank you. Thank you yes, for this. Honor thank being you. Blazing uh, trails together. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. So I'm an occupational therapist that specializes in pelvic health. I had my private practice in New York City uh, over a decade ago. I then moved my private practice to Paris and at the same time started shifting gears to really supporting other occupational therapy practitioners into coming into pelvic health. So it's traditionally considered a realm of physical therapy. And so it has been such an honor to help OTs really see that we can do this and that we're natural leaders in it. You know, kind of the the thing about OTs are we have a background in mental health. And wellness. And so I think when we're talking about the pelvic floor, we got to bring in trauma informed work. We got to bring in biopsychosocial. And so we already have that in our foundational skill set. So actually, like they make my job incredibly easy because that's the roots of true, authentic pelvic health. And then just adding on the skill set is an absolute privilege. So I have trained almost a thousand occupational therapy practitioners now in pelvic health. I have a, like you, I have a a podcast. I have a cool. Facebook group where I host weekly lives of 6,000 people. And I'm just like on this mission that I hope that I can train 10,000 OTs by the year 2030. Cause I truly believe the world's a better place when there's more OTs practicing pelvic health in it.
1: That's so cool. I love that. And I love your passion and your vision. I feel like we're, we're very aligned in that. We're like, we need to shift the way that we do things in our world. We need to show up in a way that we see progress. And too often we just kind of slap band-aids on things. You know, I always think of it, I don't know if you have dandelions where you live, but you know, like the dandelion, it's always about just like, what's the symptom Okay, let's uh, let's address the symptom. Oh, I have a headache. Let's take some pain medication. There's nothing wrong with treating symptoms. But I think what you do like kind of gets to the root because, you know, you pick a dandelion. It's going to pop the next day right back up because you haven't got to the root. I know I grew up in the suburbs where it was like you don't have dandelions. And so my mom had this tool where you would have to like go deep and pull it up. And it just like it's, it reminds me of what we really need to. And I think what you're doing in the pelvic floor realm, which is like, let's go deeper. Let's like see why you're having this symptom, right? And it's not always just that you're not doing enough Kegels. <laughs> yeah.
0: Lindsay, I love when you share those stories because there's so many, you know, I've, I have been listening to your podcast and, you know, been on faculty with you and I've had the honor of that for a couple of years now. And every time you share stories about your family and growing up and even simple things, like I can imagine little Lindsay watching, watching her mom with a dandelion, yeah, like, right? <laughs> for, like planting those seeds to the vision you have today. And so thank you for sharing that. Cause it's just like these beautiful sparks where we can look back and go, wow, that was that moment when that kind of built on these principles or these
1: values that I hold in such strong alignment now with the work that I do. So that was fun. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's just like people need to hear things in a way they can latch on. Cause I think the body, sometimes the body is kind of like people, a lot of people don't even realize their pelvis is mobile, right? A lot of people just think their (laughs) pelvis is like Mixed, solid thing. You know what? I have to tell you before we get into it. I was, I was laughing because my ninth grade son, so he's 14. I don't know what we were talking about, but he was like, well, of course the pelvis moves or like his mobile." something. He said something about the pelvis that was like, people don't know this. And I'm like, Jasper, not everyone has 10 pelvis models in a cabinet <laughs> in their living room. <laughs> like you are a unique soul. There's plenty of things that he probably knows nothing about. Cause I know nothing about, but like pelvises is not that thing. <laughs> But let's talk about it. A lot of people don't even know what the pelvic floor is, where it's located, that they have a pelvis. And so let's just like start with like, what is the pelvic floor? I think it's very mysterious to a lot of people.
0: It is so mysterious. And there is, I, I don't, I would struggle to find another part of the body that there were more myths and misunderstandings mm. about. Yeah, so I'm so glad we're going there and starting with this really foundational question. So the pelvic floor is literally simply put our bicycle seat muscles. So Mm, yeah, they're the ones that contact when we're sitting on a bike, regardless of your gender, none of that matters. We actually all have 14 muscles in the bowl of our pelvis Mm. and they do so many things that most of us don't even think about. So they help with urination and bowel movement. That's getting it out when it's appropriate and time and keeping it in when it's not have a huge role in sexuality and pleasure and the ability to orgasm. And then it has an incredible role in protection and organ support. So there's incredibly important um, organs that sit right in the bowl of the pelvis. And the muscles job is to really keep those organs supported and intact. So that's kind of a, a basic run of it, and I think fundamentally it, it really has such an important role in feeling safe and in feeling in alignment with our nervous system. So there's been incredible studies out there that actually showed people at a movie theater; uh, they were they were part of a scientific experiment where they were showed you know scary images, and they were recording what the pelvic floor was doing. And yes. regardless if whether or not they had pelvic floor issues at all, in fact, I think most of them didn't, the pelvic floor innately tightened in response to watching this scary show. And so what does that tell us? It tells us that it's a part of the body that is meant to keep us safe. It is meant to really support us and is an integral part of our being. And so where we sometimes see things go wrong is because it is trying to keep us safe. Many times our muscles down there are over gripping and are actually too tight and so that kind of leads us into why Kegels could be a problem. And right. I'm not going to jump the gun here because I'm sure that's, we're going to lead into that, but for I sure. could not bring up that study and not yeah. mention that, you know, Kegels are, have the best PR firm that have ever existed for thinking <laughs> it's, so like, true. it's the one-stop shop. It's the one thing we're supposed to do, regardless of our symptoms. And I'm going to tell you right now, I would not be in this field for over a decade, educating future practitioners. If that was the only tool we had, you
1: know, the, I love, love that you already are going with the nervous system because i find the more that i work with the body the more i'm drawn to the nervous system driving everything like that's why when you know when we teach people about like creating balance and space for easier birth the first step before balance and space is flow which is mm-hmm. essentially getting your nervous system regulated because you can't flow if you're running from an imaginary tiger or whatever and that's mm-hmm. so interesting about the pelvic floor because Thinking about, you know, the, the birth and pregnancy space and think of how scared most people are going into that process and, and that then the pelvic floor needs to yield to allow baby through. It's like such a recipe for a potentially tricky experience. Yeah. And then there's the fact that we're kind of expected
0: to learn a new skill. So if they haven't, if they have, if our birthing individuals didn't have an opportunity to work with a body ready method practitioner, they're not really practicing the skill of delivering a baby until they're in that moment with the fluorescent lights and the chaotic environment. And yeah, that, that, that worry, you know, I I don't know about you, but I remember like, like talking with my husband and my doula when we were getting ready to give birth to our first. And I, I really, Lindsay, I really had this innate fear that I was going to die giving birth. You know, I, I read Frankenstein, um, which is a book by Mary Shelley when I was in eighth grade. It's the thing that got me to be a reader and, uh, Mary Shelley's mother actually died giving birth to her. And so so this was eighth grade, you know, it was really like crucial period in my life, I guess, because it really turned me on to being a reader. And I think it kind of planted that seed for me of like, oh, this could happen. Now, granted that was in the 1800s. I gave birth in 2012, sure. but the nervous system doesn't know dates, right? It's sitting here going, oh, this is a potential. I could do this. And so we've got all of whatever stories are going into that birth experience. And we're trying a new skill for the first time, this new skill, meaning giving birth. And so I'm a big, and one of the reasons why I'm so drawn to, to the work you're doing is like, Let's prepare, let's go in with a plan and an understanding of our body and exactly what you just said, which is the pelvic floor has to yield and relax. So imagine if we're walking around tight and tense, either because we're safeguarding, we're maybe not always watching those scary movies, but certainly an ambulance going by or just an upregulated nervous system because we're not feeling in alignment with our choices or our life or what's going on, or we're not letting go of stressors as they they happen, which is what we see in the wild. We see animals shake and let go of things. I think in our society and in our culture, we accumulate a lot of those tensions so if we don't stop and address them, we are this over, overactive state. And if we don't have practice of what it feels like to let go and feel easeful down there, which is even helpful for walking down the street, you right. step off a curb, the pelvic floor needs to have a little bit of room yeah, like to, to let go.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And
0: so if, if that's not happening now, we're in this high stakes situation of giving birth and we don't even know what it feels like from a kinesthetic point of view of what it feels feels like to yield. And so, yeah, this is one of the reasons why I think, you know, we, we often let's go back to the, to the beginning and let's go back to understanding kind of the sense of what our pelvic floor can do and how it can accommodate in these little small moments throughout the day, which all lead up to a better birthing experience.
1: Mm, That's so good. So what are some strategies that you would suggest people? If someone's like, oh yeah, I, I do have a pelvic floor. I should be aware of it. Yes, I should, I should stress less. I mean, that's easy to say. We could go, we could have a whole podcast episode on like stress physiology. And I love going there, but I, but I want to go dig into the pelvic floor piece of like, what are some, and you know, OTs tend to be very good at like doable, actionable steps, which I really, that's what I love about your work. It's not just like giving people all this information. It's like applying the knowledge And so what are some things that you see that tend to help people start to embody their pelvic floor better?
0: Yeah, thank you so much for that. I I do think I do agree that OTS that is really a special sauce that that we have. You know, I I talk a lot about something called habit stacking, which, you know, is, is not my term, but I love it because it's this idea that life is an opportunity to heal. Life is an opportunity to do rehab or exercises. You know, we don't need to carve out 30 minutes to lay on the ground and do mindless clamshells. Why not integrate it into things we're already doing? And so enter habit stacking, you know, where, okay, we kind of go through like, what is a day like in your life? You know, give me give me the overview, Lindsay. You know, when you wake up, are you starting a cup of coffee? Are you maybe making some eggs for your family? We kind of go through a typical day of, of things that are predictable. And then we say, Where do you see space in some of those rituals and some of those habits that you're doing where we can start to incorporate some of these things? So I I want to just start with that in terms of looking at the individual's person's day and where their space and actually turning to them and asking them as well. Because I think with a lot of times as practitioners, there's kind of a power dynamic when we assume that we know best or that we know where it's going to fit in. And some of the work we do in pelvic health is very intimate and it wouldn't make sense to do it in the middle of the living room with the family around, right? So really leaning on our client to, to be for us to embody that facilitator approach versus a fixer, we're not a fixer. We're coming in to empower and support and lean on your innate wisdom. So where does this fit in for, for what you're doing? So we kind of do those logistical pieces. And then in terms of the actual work, sometimes it's as simple as the breath. So, you know, there's- I mean, the breath
1: is like we say it's simple, but I feel like like I talk about the nervous system. I feel like the breath is like number one, the more you learn. Right. Oh,
0: 100%. Yeah. And, and here's the thing, when we say simple, it doesn't mean it's not profound.
1: That's true. Yeah.
0: Simple can be <laughs> profound and it is That's actually so true. Yeah. So, you know, the word simple, it seems minimal, but it's, it's not, it's, it's really incredible. And also like, yeah, if, if you're already doing so many things, Wouldn't it be amazing if I came to you and was like, we're just going to build this into what you're already doing. And in fact, it's going to kind of make some of that, like I call it the mindfulness of the mundane, like uh, unloading dishes, you know, changing diapers, you know, cleaning Legos up off the floor. These are, these are kind of mundane activities, but if we make them a little bit more mindful, we also can downtrain that nervous system, which is absolutely going to help the pelvic floor because they are part of the same system. And so if everyday experiences can be a little bit more sensory So maybe you need a little bit more stimulating sensory activities, maybe you need things that are a little bit more calming, we figure that out um, together and then we make we we adjust accordingly to whatever your individual nervous system needs. And in fact, this is going to be a really crazy thing for me to say Lindsay but when we work this way, it's possible we may not even need to do an internal exam with you because we're addressing the whole body and the nervous system, which has an impact on the pelvic floor. So I, I just want to go back for a second because I want to like a little bit more directly answer your question, which is like, what is the work that we're doing? And so a breath, the breath is, is really kind of as is sim- is simple and profound as, as we start. And so, you know, the breath and the respiratory diaphragm is actually a partner or a teammate with the pelvic floor. And so when we inhale, you know, our lungs need to expand. So guess what the diaphragm responds to make more room and it goes down. Well, the pelvic floor, which is like a parentheses, it's like a mirror image of that respiratory diaphragm has no choice, but to kind of yield and soften. And then the exact opposite thing happens when we exhale. And this is a beautiful thing that happens like 20,000 times a day. And if we do it optimally and that pelvic floor is responding to that change in pressure, what a beautiful, what a beautiful way to nourish that system, all right. the and you know organs in the abdominal area, which is going to help with digestion and elimination, all of those roles that the pelvic floor ultimately is responsible for. So if we're breathing optimally, and this means like, like in more of like a three-dimensional way, so not superficial chest breathing, but really, and you know, embodying the entire area that the belly is in. So we're breathing out to the sides, we're breathing out to the back, the pelvic floor is yielding. If we do that well, that is really like the entryway and the gateway to vastly improving pelvic floor function. There's more things we can do, of course, To but it's amazing how much better people feel and how their symptoms shift with just that small tweak.
1: That's so true. And, you know, the one thing that is so simple that I, I tell people to do, especially during pregnancy is to get rid of their tight bra straps right? Because what do you, because the baby's taking up more and more space in the abdominal cavity. The ribs need to expand just to make space. And then for the breath as well. And we're like, where does it, there's nowhere for anything to go if the ribs are tight. So sometimes I just have people hold their ribs and just don't let them move and try to breathe and see what it feels like. And you can feel, you know, more heaviness in your pelvic floor, or you can feel that you need to like do that chest breathing, which is such an anxious breath, right? It, it like, isn't great for your nervous system to breathe in that shallow way. So it's so beautiful that the same stuff that makes you feel a little calmer and more regulated also helps your pelvic floor be more responsive, helps your core. It's like, it's amazing what just learning how to breathe better can do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people, people think like, Oh, I need to go get someone to do internal work and like release my pelvic floor or I need to sit on a tennis ball or whatever, which those things are beautiful. But let's talk about like the way that I think of it is like, again, having those reactive techniques have a purpose and it allows that temporary release of those tissues. But I always wonder like if you release a tissue but well, you haven't addressed why it's tight. Like it's, like you said, it's just responding to light. So if we just keep watching all the scary movies and stressing out, but then we're like going to the PT every couple of weeks to get our pelvic floor released. Is it really doing anything? Right.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And I think part of why we even, you know, go to therapy to get that work released, which yeah, for certain people, I'm going to tell you it's everything it does. It totally. does the a needle. Uh, but here's the thing is the connection that needs to be made when that work is done is I think what's often left on the table. And what I mean by that is, right. So they're in there, they're maybe doing that release work. Well, now we need to be mindful of what that feels like. So take a moment, don't just jump off that table and go to your next appointment. Hopefully your therapist is taking a second to go. Okay. So now let's go revisit that breathing exercise that we did when you first got here, where you weren't feeling much going into those sits bones, we were sitting on the physio ball. You, you really felt the breath stop at your belly button. Let's go back and let's revisit that. I've just released some of those muscles that were a little bit overactive, a little bit, you know, angry and let's sit on the ball. And all of a sudden they're like, "Whoa, wait a second. It almost feels like an umbrella opening up down there. Like I feel the sits bone spreading apart. I can feel the breath going down. It's a little bit, but it's there. And I'm like, that's it. That's it. That's that firework that we needed to give you a deeper sense of proprioception for what's possible. And now your work this week, week is to recreate that so maybe it is sitting on your ball at home or a a yoga strap or even just putting your hand there and I want you to recreate what you just felt with me and when we practice that skill you're empowering the client to recognize you don't need me as your therapist this is actually work that you can do and it will vastly support you the more you do it outside of our work together. And then when you come back, we're going to keep making those milestones. And I'm going to ask you, how did the work go? And you're going to say, this is where I struggled, or I had no time for this. And so then we're going to do more habit stacking. We're going to tweak what wasn't right for your individual body. And we're going to make it more precise. And this is where the work isn't cookie cutter and it's not prescriptive. And I can't tell you, Lindsay, it's only going to be four sessions. It's only going to be six because guess what? I'm listening to you as a living, breathing, beautiful person who gets their body better than I ever will. And so by being present and and then helping to tweak what didn't work is where the magic happens. And I think that's what maybe is that missing piece of of then connecting exactly what you said into everyday life so that it's not just work that's done once on a table and you've got to come back for it again.
1: Yeah, I love that. And I think that's really empowering for the person because too often it's like the medical model that we're trying to get away from is my doctor knows all and I'm just going to listen to them. We need to become conscious medical consumers and like take ownership of our body and our mind and ourselves. And if we as practitioners, even if we're in, you know, the more holistic space, but if we have as practitioners take it on as like, oh, I know it all. I will fix you. that's not empowering and it doesn't serve our clients to show up in the world in the way they want to. So I love that you're doing that. And I feel like the same thing with like, I think doulas get it intuitively. That's why I love working with doulas too, because doulas are all about empowering and helping people make their own decisions and decide for themselves. And I think we all, all the different holistic practitioners could learn from that of like, we all need to empower them To learn, like, I love chiropractors and I love, you know, getting a chiropractic adjustment, but I love the chiropractors the best who then give someone like your homework. Like, okay, now do this when you get home. We don't, our job isn't to not just like, massage you or adjust you or release your pelvic floor and you're good okay see you once a week for the rest of your life like and no one wants time, that
0: there is a time and place for that you know and and it's so interesting because when i started my private practice i was the first ot in new york city just to, to start the uh, pelvic floor business and you know i would carefully screen people because there were people who wanted to come in and maybe lay face down the entire time and not have a conversation and and yeah. that's okay that is absolutely that's okay to be, yeah but I think that just kind of know what you need and then call around and screen, because guess what? The practitioner that you're gonna align best with and get the most out of that session is going to be one who meets your goals and you're not going to know that just by looking on a profile on google you know you're really going to need to call especially with something as intimate as the pelvic floor you can't first of all we're all trained so differently it's it is a little bit like the wild west you know and yeah and so like some of us are just going to go in and do a bunch of kegels and not talk to you others are going to incorporate other and so the thing is like they're all good they're all good you just get clear on what you need as a as an individual and then ask questions before you book to find out that they're that's going to be a match for you.
1: Yeah, I think it's tricky. And I think in this wild west of like insurance reimbursement, it's tricky as well. And you'll see pelvic practitioners who still just say, oh, just do your Kegels. It's definitely still a thing, even though I feel like we, maybe I'm in a bubble where I'm like, oh, no one does that anymore. But then I'll have someone come to me and say, oh, I was just given hundred Kegels a day and, and towel crunches. Like you, you wrap a towel around your belly and crunch. And we've known for how long that's not really effective, but It's just a lot. I don't know. A lot of people, you know, they get their training and then they just work and they just kind of work the same way for the next until they retire. And I think but I do think the beautiful thing about the space we're in right now is that with social media and with the Internet, there's more access to more information. And so people are becoming conscious of their options. And so I think those people are going to need to. If they want to stay in the game they're going to need to elevate their practice and they're going to need to get some updated training so um so like let's go let's go with the kegels because i'm in like in this bubble of like oh i've I've talked about kegels and why i don't (laughs) love them for years but i but not everyone has been listening to us for the last two decades so like why i mean you've already said a little bit about it like kegel is like a contraction and we're already tend to be tight, but what else, like, when is there a place for a Kegel? Like, what do you, what's your thoughts on it? And again, let's call actually, let's call it a pelvic floor contraction. Cause yeah. that, another thing that bothers me, I don't know if it bothers you is, you <laughs> is the like naming things after ourselves, like movements of the body, especially after a, a male doctor and like naming, like it, I don't know. I refuse to name anything after myself. I it just seems you. a little patriarchal.
0: I knew exactly where you were going with that. And I'm like, yep, let's do that. Let's talk yeah. about a
1: pelvic floor contraction. <laughs> let's just get him out of there. It's a pelvic floor contraction. Yep. Mr. Arnold
0: Kegel is, is not in the picture. Um, yeah. So, so, you know, just like every muscle in the body, every muscle in the body, we need to be able to contract, which is a pelvic floor contraction. In this case, we need to be able to let go, which is just a place of rest and repose. And then we have extension, So this is more expansion and, you know, yeah, fully lengthening. And so all of our muscles, right. And I love using the bicep just because it's something we all can see. The pelvic floor is very different than the bicep, but it gets that concept across. And, and so, you know, usually I have a slingshot next to me. My, my nine-year-old must've stolen it in pursuit of, (laughs) of a game that he was playing, but I want you to kind of think about a slingshot. And if a slingshot is all the way pulled back, it can't go any further. All right. So it's at its tightest, almost like potential energy state. Mm. And when we're walking around in that contracted state, which I'm going to tell you, like, especially living in New York city and Paris, I'm going to go so far as to say, Lindsay, 85% of my clients were actually already in this state of overactivity or slingshot preparedness of potential energy, even though they were leaking urine, Mm. maybe leaking stool, having painful intimacy, you know, and most people are like, well, it means I'm too relaxed down there. I'm too open. I need to. Yeah. That's what
1: a lot of people think. They think it's like everything's flopping in the wind down there. Exactly.
0: But think about it. If most of my clients were overactive, it was the opposite. And so why do we leak urine if we're too, if we're too contracted? Well, just like that slingshot, it's got nowhere else to go. I can't tighten it any further and I need to be able to tighten. We mentioned this just a few minutes ago when I'm walking down the street and I step off a curb, the muscles in my pelvic floor, and actually all my muscles need to kind of have like a moment of, 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 um, perturbation. So they kind of come down and they come back up. Now imagine if I'm already gripping there. I won't have that. I won't have that ultimate support or that trampoline like quality that a good, healthy pelvic floor has. And so instead my body lets me know, Hey, something, something's up. I need your attention down here. And so it leaks urine. So basically, if we're walking around in that state, doing more keggling is actually going to cause more problems. It's going to restrict blood flow, which is never a good thing, and it's going to actually make it more tight and tense. And so we might, we're kind of going in the opposite direction. So, you know, kind of coming back to this just very basic concept that we need to be able to move. And more importantly, we need to be able to have movement options. So a variety of ways to accomplish a task is what's ultimately the most, the most healthy in all parts of our body, when we kind of get stuck in a pattern, whether it's the pattern of prescribing Kegels, if I'm a, you know, c- kind of like a jaded professional who isn't inspired and isn't can stay, stay, staying up on research, or if I'm just kind of like mindlessly putting dishes away, it's like, let's take these moments as an opportunity to kind of recognize that we have options to move our body and, and options really to even ask ourselves, is this working for me? Like, is this choice or is this habit continuing to serve me. And I think that's just a great inventory to take both emotionally and physically in all aspects of our life. So a long winded way of saying that, you know, Kegels are sort of like one half of the equation, but we need to be able to relax and tighten to get a fully supported pelvic floor. And for birthing individuals, I think it's more important to really think about that release because that ultimately the job of giving birth is one of the uterus. It actually is the one that is bringing the baby down. The pelvic floor's job is to get out of the way, to to be an open door, an open window to allow the work to happen. And I think when we're tight, it's restricting that. And your body-ready method goes into so many other reasons why that could happen, but just sticking to to my area of the pelvic floor, that's often what we see.
1: Yeah, it needs to get out of the way. And then getting into the postpartum, I think people think after you give birth, everything feels, especially right away, like let's go immediate postpartum. Everyone's like everything. Again, I said like flopping in the wind. It's kind of like my joke of like, people think it's very cavernous. They think their pelvic floor has stretched and it's overstretched and it's, but actually, I don't know about you, but I tend to see people's bodies response to maybe a more traumatic situation or just a big stretch is not to just be too loose, but to be too tight. Do, would you say, like, when you work with postpartum people, do you experience that, or what do you see in that postpartum yeah. experience?
0: Yeah, you really, you really hit the nail on the head there. I mean, it was beautifully said. Um, so, you know, certainly our bones change, and and so we may feel more cavernous down there from an anatomical standpoint. But guess what? That's another reason why for those muscles to grip even more, because, you know, just like you said with the ribs earlier, right? The ribs expand to to make Mm -hmm. space for baby. Our pelvis does expand to to get out of the way. And so that that can be a change. And so whether it's because we're having a little bit of emotional trouble transitioning to this new role of becoming a parent, uh, sleep deprivation, that is real. I mean, I know that. (laughs) That just, that was hard for me. That was really hard for me. And so there's just so much, this new role, this new occupation of being a parent is just, it is a challenge on so many levels. And so when we feel that lack of control or shifting, especially for those of us that like had a very successful career or was used to really, you know, having time for a lot of things, this baby is all consuming. And so what happens is we often grip to feel a sense of control again, or we'll grip because we can feel things have shifted down there, or we haven't taken the time to process the birth. It maybe it didn't go to plan. There's so many reasons. And, And And so, you know, hormonal changes, I mean, it it can go on and on. And so, yes, you said it exactly right. What I'll often see is instead of this like flopping in the breeze, it's really this this intention or this intent, both physically and emotionally to keep it all together. Got to keep it all together for my family, for this new role I'm inhabiting, despite how maybe I don't feel aligned with it, you know, I got to do this. And so as a result, we see that again, that overactivity of the pelvic floor.
1: This episode is brought to you by the Body Ready Method, our game changing, interactive, fully online course for perinatal and birth professionals who want to elevate the way they serve their clients. We teach you how to help your clients prepare their bodies for a more functional pregnancy and efficient birth, and teach you what to do when during birth through the lens of birth biomechanics. Gain confidence and new skills to support your clients. Sign up for the waitlist for our next cohort at bodyreadymethod.com. I love the how you're so ot about it, and I love it how you're talking about like the sleep and the stress of being a new parent because it is really a holistic experience. It's not just oh. I'm dealing with no sleep, a baby who's crying, my life shifting completely, and then I'm just going to go and get someone to massage my pelvic floor and then just keep stressing and not breathing and suffering in a lot of ways. And so I think that's a really important thing to address is like, let's look at this whole person, this new parent. let's look at how they're sleeping. Let's look at how do they have care, help at home? I think we as a society really don't take care of people postpartum. We are in our like single family houses and you're just kind of expected to, especially by like baby three, I remember like baby one people kind of cared, but like by like my third baby, the only, like I was, I remember coming home from the hospital or I didn't have a hospital birth, but (laughs) home birth, (laughs) but like, that's just the way you say. But um, you know, I remember having this baby and then um, kind of being like, okay, Like people just expect it by the third or by maybe even the second that you have it all figured out. And you're like, no, every new baby, you need the support. And I was so stressed out. And the, sadly, then my, my baby, you know, got sick and we needed a lot of hospital care for a heart defect and then people cared and then people were supporting us, which was beautiful, but it shouldn't just take that. It should just be innate in our culture to support the new family. And I that's think that's awesome. what you guys, well, OTs are preaching as well is like, how can we support the dynamic, not yeah. just spot treat yeah. the symptom, the family, the family unit,
0: you know, it's, yeah. it's a cohesive unit. And so looking at all those dynamics and you just said something that like, I think it needs to be an entire podcast episode on its own, which is like. Okay, we we definitely rally with that first birth. Everyone's so excited. There's a new family. Right. Yeah, it's like, what about the second and the third? And in your yeah. case, the fourth. Like, yeah. no one talks about it. Oh, they've got it figured out. That this is not new to them. But actually, in a way, it sometimes is even more challenging, I or agree. maybe not. But but check in with that individual because we don't know what kind of shifts have happened. And so this is one of those like unspoken about topics. So I I love that you brought that up. We're like breaking. We're breaking all the taboos today, Lindsay. We're, we're right, bringing all I know. This out.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Yeah. It's, it's so important that we, we just support pregnancy, birth and recovery so much more holistically and stop just treating symptoms and treating like the whole person. And you know, I'm such a body and I'm sure you too. I'm like, I was so focused on the body. You know, I went to school for exercise science and I was, I'm a very like biomechanical, like physiology, but then physiology is also our nervous system. Physiology is also our breath. And I remember thinking, like you said, oh, it's simple. And I remember thinking like, ah, breathing, nervous system, that's like, whatever. But no, it's really foundational to this work is addressing the whole person. And I think that's really beautiful. Let's talk about uh, the birth more, if you don't mind. So you talked about the pelvic floor is getting out of the way, What are some ways, so we talked about the breath and we talked about the nervous system. Um, What do you find is like helps people to know the state of their pelvic floor beyond like going to a practitioner. Let's say I'm a doula and I'm just like having a meeting with my clients. I mean, I think a lot of those things are taboo to even discuss with other people. You know, you mentioned incontinence, painful sex. Are there other, like if someone's just like, I don't know, What's gone yeah. with my pelvic floor? Are there some self-checks that they could do?
0: <laughs> what a great question! I love that. Yes, there are. So, first of all, yeah, I think sometimes as a doula or anyone listening to this podcast who you know has the honor of supporting a pregnant person, first of all, you asking the question and holding space for that question is everything because they probably are dying to talk about it and no one is asking them. I guarantee no one else is asking them these things. So you're doing a great service um, by opening that door and letting them know you are someone who, you know, can, can therapeutically use their sense of self and wants to talk about this. And guess what? If they don't want to, they're gonna tell you, you're gonna pick up on nonverbal and verbal cues. And so absolutely like honor that but I'm going to tell you 10 times out of 10, okay, fine. Nine times out of 10, you yeah. you know, they're going to just be like, oh my gosh, thank you so much. Like, I have so many questions. I want to know more about this. So they're just going to be so grateful and you're going to have a sense of that. right? Right. So holding that space is, is everything. And so, and also, yeah, as you said, with social media, I think there's just so much more education out there. People want to understand this stuff. So simple checks, things that things we can do. So I actually have like a one page simple checklist that we can throw on your show notes if you want to, that just kind of like helps. And it's one of the things I would give out at workshops when I was hosting community workshops in New York city, because I did want people, maybe I wasn't going to have a chance to talk with them. And I wanted them to go home with something that they could like think about. And I often told them to keep it because maybe six months after they have a baby, they'll answer the questions differently than they are now. And that's also an opportunity to kind of say, Hey, I might need some help here. Things are different. And so really just checking in with your three basic habits. So again, they were elimination, both urine and bowel, they were intimacy and they were support. Okay. So simply saying like how often, like with, like with urination, like a couple, like two or three basic norms that people just don't talk about enough are number 1 we should never have to strain when we urinate. Mm. So people in New York would call this power pushing where you like
1: sit down and you yes. like you're like I got somewhere to pee, I ain't got time for this pee. Pushing pee, one of my, that was like a cool thing for the teens for a while. I don't even know what pushing pee meant, but whenever my kids would say it I was like I just think you're doing bad pelvic floor habits. Yes. Power pushing,
0: pushing P, all of it. all of it. It's all counterproductive to an optimal core because again, we're supposed to relax in that moment, yes. right? Elimination comes out with ease, not with force. And so you're ultimately not completely emptying your bladder and you're changing that brain to body connection in a moment when it's supposed to be relaxing, you're actually tightening. So you're causing some lack of synergy there, which ultimately will will change function so number one like what's your experience with simple peeing like are you pushing are you rushing um when you stand up does a little bit more pee come out or did it did it you know finish when you were still on the toilet um do you hover when you go out because that actually does stop like you were not relaxing the pelvic floor the glutes and the thighs and everything are active so just like simple habits like what is what is your experience around peeing and it, and so again just to summarize no pushing, um, hovering isn't optimal. Um, and then peeing once every two to four hours. Now it's a little bit different when we're pregnant. So I'm just talking like norms, particularly maybe after postpartum peeing once every two to four hours or six to eight times in a 24 hour period is really great. And this is all stuff that checklist goes through. But, um, the other thing that comes to mind for me is, um, not peeing out of convenience. So if you're about to, so you true. know, run an errand, and you don't have that urge. Don't pee because that's gonna. Yeah, to- it's like
1: the just in case that a lot of especially women tend to do that, right? One hundred percent. Yeah, I don't want to. I was just on an airplane, and you think about it. It's like, oh, I better quick go before I get on the airplane. And it's like, literally, I always, not anymore. I've trained myself out of it. But I don't know if you ever got this, but I would be on an airplane, and I would just have to go, only because I couldn't. It was like, yes. yes. Because I'm thinking about it because I'm on an airplane. And it's not like the easiest thing to do. That's I was like, 100%. ah, or I'm in like the, not in the aisle seat yeah. and you're like, oh, I don't want to like, I'm a Minnesota and I want to be like, and bother all the people in my row. Yeah. So that's true. So, so it's like, it's, it tell us about it. So if you go out of convenience, what can that, ha- what can that, mm-hmm. what can happen?
0: Okay. So first off, like just one time or something, a couple of times, not a big deal, not a big deal. We're talking patterns. We're talking, this is my go-to. So for instance, like people in New York city, you often didn't want to use a public restroom. It just, it it just was not going to be a pretty site if there even was one. So most people got into that habit of their life before they ran an errand, before they went down to the bakery, before they left for work, they would pee. That's the kind of stuff I'm talking about is these patterns or these things we don't stop to think about. Like for instance, you on the airplane making that decision, it was probably like well this is a one time thing i know it's not optimal i'm going to do it because i'm probably not going to be able to get out of my aisle seat that's okay sure, we're talking yes. about doing it without a conscientiousness and a deliberation and that's really what what's what where it's where we're going with this so what happens is you know, the bladder is a muscle, right? It's meant to expand like a balloon to really be a repository for urine. And then it's meant to come back down when, when it fully eliminates and that stretch happens. And it basically kicks off stretch receptors inside the lining of the bladder that send a message up your spinal cord to your brain, which you cognitively interpret as I got to pee. Mm-hmm. and that's a beautiful system. It works. And it works in a way that doesn't control our life because we're able to sit through a movie and not get up and pee. We're able to go on a long car ride and not annoy the people we're, who are our companions. You know, we're able to function. Our life doesn't run around peeing. It's just like, it holds urine. and we go, we go, and then we move on. And so what happens if we interrupt that signal frequently with a pattern Our very beautiful brain who wants to do best by us basically says, ah, I've got you. You no longer want me to alert you when you've expanded this far. You want me to alert you when I've only gone a little bit. So I'm gesturing now with my hand. So sorry for audio listeners, but (laughs) essentially, right? Like imagine a balloon that's just blown up a teeny bit, a teeny bit, the size of a strawberry versus the size of a, of a cantaloupe. And so basically it, it wants to support you. So now, now those stretch receptors are extra sensitive and they send you that message up the spinal cord sooner and sooner and sooner. And you think this is a legitimate urge. It's called like, we call it like an authentic urge. It's actually not. You've trained yourself to do that. And I'm going to tell you right now, anyone who's listening, who's experiencing that we have got you go find a pelvic floor therapist. And um, it's actually like really simple, simple and profound work that we can do together to help you.
1: Yeah, you can retrain your bladder. You can retrain that system, just like everything. Like life is growth and life and our bodies. I think it's cool because it's it's like it's not ideal, but it's cool that our bodies are just adapting to how we use them. So if we change how we use them, yeah. then our body changes. And And I think people are like, oh, this is going to be my reality for the rest of my life. Or, oh, I had a baby. So now it's very... I like now that it's very mainstream to be like to be aware of incontinence is a little more mainstream, but it's kind of mainstream in a like, oh, ha ha ha, you pee your pants too because or have urgency or have to pee all the time because you've had a baby. And we're here to say thank you for it being aware because there's no shame in having any of these issues. It's no more shameful than having like a knee like I had a knee injury. I don't feel ashamed of that. It's just my body had an injury. And so, but we get so weird about the pelvic floor region. It's the sexual region. I think we've, our society is very repressed in that region anyway. And so Mm -hmm. I think we feel like we're ashamed of it. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm glad that people have put it out there, but we're saying, and you're saying, don't just deal with like, don't assume this is your forever. Right. Exactly. And how, how often would you say like, so, so when people are having issues and they come to you, like what tends to be their like feeling better rate? You know what I mean? Like, does it take something, does it, I know it's so variable, but I just want people to hear like ranges because I think some people think like, why am I not fixed in a week? Or Mm -hmm. else they think like, yeah, you know, I see people on both sides. People are very confused and wondering when this is going to get better.
0: 100% it's so individual. You know, we're partners. So you got to do your home exercise. I got to right. show up and be my best self. It's a partnership. And so you can't just come in and come see me once a week and expect it all to be better. We have really got to work with you to implement the strategies, which is why that customized check-in and me being like, Hey, what worked for you? What didn't you have time for is everything. And please be honest when you answer those questions, right. because I want to shift things and make them easier for you. I have a thousand ideas on how we can do that. So let's like, let's do this in an authentic way. And you, you are going to be on the other side of this. So I just have to mention that it is a partnership. Now, if I see somebody who it's a little bit more new or what we call acute, you know, you just had a baby, uh, you just had a, a fall on your tailbone, you know, you name it. It just is a new condition. I'm going to I'm going to ballpark here anywhere from four to 10 sessions because I'm really going to take my time with you and infuse it with education. And that means that you're going to be able to, to fish. You're not going to just be served a meal. You're going to be able to yes. make a meal. Right. So that's going to be customizable, but I would give it that ballpark, which I don't know. I, I would love to know the reactions of your listeners. When I say that, does that seem like a lot? Does that seem like too little? You know, it's, it's, it's lands on everybody a little bit different, but i like to give that range because it does matter on what's happening in your body and how much time and intention you give this. Now if you saw me because you've had constipation for 20 years, you know, you've been um you know not telling anybody about the urinary incontinence, um you know let's say it's a longer standing issue or let's say you didn't have any issues when you had a baby and now you're going through menopause and now some of these new symptoms are are arriving. Any of these scenarios where it's a little bit more of like a chronic that could take that could take more time, you know, um, because we're dealing with things that have really been in place and have been patterns of yours for a while. So in that case, I would ballpark somewhere from like six to, I don't know. I've seen clients for a year, Lindsay, and this is not because they weren't keeping up their end of the bargain or I wasn't, it was just that things were evolving and we're not seeing each other every week in those scenarios. Maybe we're seeing each other once a month. You know, we're doing these check-ins because it's amazing how those old habits we can default back to quite easily, um, or just new changes are happening. And so I think that it's um, a great conversation to have anyone meeting a pelvic floor therapist. You can say, Hey, what's your average, you know, length, but also know that there's just like so many, we can't read the future. We don't exactly know, but we're just going to see you for that right amount of time. And we're going to be able to update that as we get to know you better and give you a more accurate ad- assessment.
1: Yeah, that's good. I think, cause you know, I think there's this whole idea of like, you give birth. And then you get to your six-week appointment with your doctor or midwife and you're cleared to exercise. And you think it's this awareness of like, at six weeks, I should be healed. Everything should be good. And just go back to my life like as if nothing has happened. And a lot of people reach out to me. Usually it's around like three weeks to a month postpartum where they're like, I have prolapse. I'm peeing. What is wrong? Or even around six weeks, they're like, I don't feel fully healed and i think it's important for us to put it out there that that's normal right like and i i found a lot of people assume they have prolapse and maybe some of them do but a lot of people around that month it's that it's i don't know why it's the month for people for me but i my theory is that's when all the help is back to work like your partner's back to work like every you're on your own now probably and you're back to everything but you're still in this like acute recovery phase But now you're, you're like, not really focused on it. And so you're getting these symptoms and you think now I'm screwed for life. So that's, that's the thing I really want people to know is like early postpartum, I think is like a year. What would you say? Like, how long do you see people like, or how long do you consider them? Like, I know postpartum is forever, but like, how long do you see as that? Or do you agree with me that it takes What I
0: What I typically say is nine months in, nine months out
1: you okay. know, yeah. basically,
0: but honestly, I think it is probably closer to that year. But what I like to say and why I say it that way is because nine months, it's almost 10 months. Okay. Yeah. full term. Yeah. And it's like, I remember those days. Like there were some days I'm like, we're only at five months. Are you kidding me? I am ready to have this child. Right. And then other times right. it's like, oh, why you do this forever. It's like, we all feel that those full 10 months were a long time. And so I like saying that because it's like, yeah, man, I remember like every, like, I couldn't believe it. It was on six months. I was on seven months. It's like, okay. So associate that with those changes, all of those changes that took place from the baby being a seed to being a full, you know, full birth baby. It's like, wow. Okay. So, so that amount of time it took to grow my beautiful baby, I'm going to need at least that amount of time to recover and recalibrate. And so I like to say that just so that they have like that mental association of like that length of time and that it's now that same, at least amount of time to, to kind of get to know your new body again.
1: That's beautiful. There's a term I'll have to find it. I it's, it's, I think it's Dutch ons wagon. I can't remember the exact term, but I found it and I, I, I latched onto it and it's, it's, it means to unpregnant. It's this idea of nine months in nine months out. And it's like, oh why does our language not have that word because it like gives honor to the unpregnanting process of like, it's so beautiful because think about it this time that you're like obsessed. A lot of people, I see a lot of people really obsessed with especially like diastasis recti and their pelvic floor, which I get because things shift a lot and they're so obsessed with healing sometimes but then they're also not sleeping and they're also trying to figure out how to take care of this baby, maybe a toddler this. There's a lot going on. And so it can take longer to heal when there's a lot of stuff, right? Oh, I feel like yeah. we need to honor that time.
0: We do. and And while I think sometimes people think like I'm If I don't get back now, I'm never going to. Mm. You know, I'm going to miss that window. It's just never going to happen for me. I need to capitalize on the enthusiasm or that routine I had when I was pregnant of going to the gym. And I just want to say, like, we are so neuroplastic. We are Mm. so growth oriented. And, you know, I have clients who call me in their 80s who are like, you know, I had a C section. Is there anything we can do? And it's like, absolutely. Yes, I know. There's always hope. There is always something we can do. And so, And it could be small. It could be big. It doesn't matter because it's all going to support you. And so, yeah, I, I 100% agree with that and, and, and love that term because it is something that as a society, we need to um, respect more and give attention to all the attention is on the pregnancy and the birth we don't ever talk about. And we're just expected to snap back and get right back to it. And while I get that productivity and that, you know, that sort of like go, go, go attitude, which I saw so much of in New York city. It's like, who's that really benefiting? Is that benefiting the parents, the birthing person? Is that benefiting the baby? Is that really benefiting society? Like I remember going back half, like eyes closed, just trying to stay awake. I was not my best employee self. So it's like, let's just be honest and go, all right, how can we shift this so that everyone benefits?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it is wild that dogs like puppies are are not allowed to be pulled away from their mother I think it's like 12 weeks or Mm -hmm. something it's like if you pull them apart before that there's like detrimental issues I'm not probably quoting it right yet a lot of new parents are expected to go back to work like immediately like within Mm Yeah. So, so I, I think there's a lot of different pieces and I love this. There's a lot of different people doing a lot of different things to hopefully shift this. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm so grateful for OTs. Um, Actually, before we go, I just want to hear like, just from your perspective, like someone who's new getting into the either pelvic health or getting into working in birth, pregnancy, postpartum, like what advice would you give to them about the pelvic floor and how to integrate it into their work? Mm-hmm. I know it's kind of like a big question.
0: Yeah. I mean, I honestly think to kind of get comfortable with the topic yourself first, Mm, you know, to kind of get to know your own body and, and Mm. your habits and kind of like because if we ourselves aren't comfortable we're often not going to be able to open up that and hold space for the client in front of us and i know we all deeply want that i know that if you're listening to this like you want to be that person in your your client's life who can have these conversations and make this stuff easy it is so rewarding lindsay like it is one of the best jobs in the world just to be able to help someone feel comfortable talking about this because i'm telling you there's just not many other professions that do and so to be in that unique role is a privilege and in order to do best by that privilege, kind of check in with yourself first on, do you have any biases? Do you have any, you know, things that, that you can recalibrate so that you can show up the best that you can. And also find out what's happening with your body, you know, like do those simple checklists or go see a pelvic floor therapist and find out what's going on so that you kind of, cause it also can help you be a little bit more empathetic and understanding when they, when they share what's going on. So that's first and foremost. And then second is like, you know, get a little bit of good good education. You know, listening to your podcast, listening to my podcast, finding people on social media that are reputable and respectful and give good information. Just, I'm not. I don't. You don't need to read a thousand books on it. You don't need to go down that whole rabbit hole that probably you and I have. Just enough information to kind of know what's optimal and for you to go you know, I think it would be helpful for you to see a pelvic floor therapist for that. And so just simply knowing those norms, you know, we already talked a little bit about the P, um, for intimacy. I'll just quickly say that, um, you know, it should never, it should never be painful. Now your first couple of times after birth, it may be, and yeah. that's, that's actually like normal, but what we want to see is that it gets better each time and that it doesn't take more than a couple times for that pain to go away. If you push through it, that nervous system is going to get really upregulated and your system is going to associate intimacy with pain, which is going to be, you know, a a harder thing. Now you're coming to see me for a longer period of time because there's more to undo there. The tissues have changed and the brain and body connection is different and you're not associating it with pleasure anymore. So I would say that's what we want to see, but outside of pregnancy, pain, sex should never, never be painful. So it's just these little norms that, that we can share when someone expresses something to us will really open doors and help them recognize they don't have to suffer in silence. It is not their new norm and that there is hope.
1: That's so true. You know, I, I think again, we're, we're such a shame-based society, especially around sexual health. I remember I had a doula client once, uh, we were talking and she, she, we were, ta- I don't remember how it came up, but we, I realized she couldn't do a Kegel. She'd never been able to do a Kegel and she didn't know why. And she also had painful sex mm-hmm. and it wasn't something that, that she like even thought to share, especially like Minnesota. We're all very like, I don't know. Everyone like, we're also, I don't know what the word is, but it's not something it's not, you know, I go to different places of the world and people are much more open, but here it feels like everyone's so, sexually repressed and it's like scary to talk about. And I realized, of course she, you know, she had painful sex and she um, couldn't do a Kegel. And then she pushed for like four, four hours for her last birth. And we're like, well, like, think about it. Like she was in this, she was in a Kegel. She was in a pelvic floor contraction. Like she was just so tight. And so it was like, wow, this is not something I need to deal with. And it's so beautiful. You don't have to be an expert on the pelvic floor to help someone like as a doula, you're the person that they might share things with that they normally wouldn't share with to anyone. Yes. And so you yes. are that person. They might not even be telling their doctor these things, but you're like this, this beautiful, you know, dual is a so good at like holding the space and people just want to tell us everything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so if you know, Oh my gosh, I have these, you know, what I would say to add to that would be, no, you were talking about like the good ones versus the ones that maybe don't follow as evidence-based care. Yeah. You know, talk in your local community who are the good pelvic practitioners, right? And get a list and just make sure your clients are aware of their options. Because if they're also- not aware, you don't know.
0: I would always also encourage all those amazing doulas out there to call themselves, because first of all, especially if they're private practice owners, they're looking to expand as well. They want to know they know that doulas are going to be referring to them. And so it's a it's an opportunity for everybody. Never think you're imposing on somebody. You're actually enhancing their practice and you're building relationships, which really authentic relationships is really what true marketing is all about. It's not sleazy. You know, it's it's you're, you're doing best and looking out for your client. So call your local pelvic floor therapists and just, you can do a simple phone call. You can do even better, a meet and greet. That's what I would love to do. Because also you're looking to find out like, like, let's say I'm a pelvic floor occupational therapist, right. And I'm meeting with different doulas. I want to see like, well, kind of like, what's your flavor? What's your specific, what do you love? What do you, you know? And that way, when I have different clients, I'm going to play a little bit of matchmaker. I'm going to totally. go, oh, I do you that know, too. you got to find this doula, right? So there's that advantage, but there's also the advantage as a doula to be able to be like, so what's your view on Kegels or how often do you give Kegels? And that's like such right. a great setup.
1: That is because- a good question. I asked that one too.
0: <laughs> if they do it, they're going to be like,
1: oh my gosh, it's,
0: you know, and then you're going to know, and you're going to be like, okay, this is probably not like the the best person I want to align my practice right. with, or you're going to just spark a great conversation that's just going to build relationships. So, uh, you know, I would also just ask you to take that extra step and, you know, interview the people in your community, which is just going to open doors.
1: That's so true. I think community, you know, we're both big community builders. I think community is the way forward. Community is the way that we shift the paradigm yeah. when we can all come together, when doulas, OTs, PTs, chiros, nurses, doctor, you know, I'm leaving out a bunch of them. But when we all have this awareness of the pelvic floor, we don't all have to know the same things and be every, like, I don't, I don't need to be everybody for someone, but I have this community that yeah. I can pull on. And that's how we help our clients, not by being the everything for them, but by like holding this community. And like you said, with marketing, you know, I remember doing a meet and greet with some pelvic PTs years ago, and I probably sent them hundreds because I liked them. You know, like we, we vibed, I got their approach. I loved their approach. I love them as people. And anyone in that area of the city, I would just throw at them because I want, we all want our clients to have good practitioners, right? That's right. That's right. So that's beautiful. I wanted so to the final parting words, tell us where oh. we can find you. Um, I, I, I know people are gonna be like, I need to know more from Lindsay. I mean, we're, was- we're the Lindsay crew. So tell me where they can. Oh, that's
0: right. A-Y and E-Y. Yes, yes.
1: <laughs> I was just going to add super quick on something yeah. you just said, which is like,
0: what a relief to know we don't have to do it all. Oh, like so, so true. many of my, of my students who take, who take my courses are like, think that they have to do it all. And while I respect that and admire that, and I was definitely that way, I want to just like demystify that right now and tell you that it absolutely is not all on you. You're going to need the dietician. You're going to need the doula. You're going to need the massage therapist. Like you need so many people because to be able to do it all, is just not possible. And so that community, Lindsay, that you're talking about is indispensable and also will help you not burn out because so that pressure true. that we put on ourselves it is the fastest path to burnout. You may not feel it now, but I promise you it's coming. And so just know also that when you can look your client in the eye and say to them, I don't know the answer to that, but I know somebody that does. And I'm going to get back to you. That is going to build the connection between the two of you so that when you do speak on authority about something, they are going to listen to you and they are going to respect you because you know, your lane, you know, your area of expertise, they're not expecting you to know it all. And when you let them know where they touched on something, you don't know, it just, it just builds that relationship. And so anyway, I just wanted to, I to love ask- that.
1: I think, yeah, I think that's just part of being an expert is no, like the more, you know, the more you realize how much you don't know. At least that's for me. Yes. I feel like it's easy to like think you know it all when there, you know just like a little bit about the pelvic floor and then you get into it more and you keep peeling back layers and you're like, when do these layers, like you keep peeling and it's like, it's never ending. And so life is growth and we're always learning but then we always have other people like I can go deep with this because you're going deep with this.
0: Yes, exactly. That's beautiful. So beautifully said. Yes. So sorry to answer your yeah, question no. where people can find me. Yes. And the best thing is my website, which is functionalpelvis.com, And then my podcast, which is OTs and pelvic health. So I, primarily now support people who want to enter a pelvic health rehab. Um, but I definitely love helping doulas and childbirth educators and everybody who's not an OT learn as well. Um, just because I, I just, I have such respect. And I, again, speaking on this community. So my podcast, even though it's called OTs in pelvic health, I invite everyone listening to this podcast to check that out. And then, um, uh, my, my, thing, my, uh, website, which is functionalpelvis.com.
1: Amazing. And Lindsay's also faculty again, third year um, for the body writing method. So um, registration is already closed for this year's cohort starting in October, but we'll, we will do it again. And um, I just am so grateful for you bringing it in. I think the cool thing about that BRM program is we have a pelvic therapist. We have a massage therapist. We have a midwife. We have me kind of in the ex fiz doula field. We have another doula, like we, we have a mental health therapist. And so it's, The same thing of you, it's like, it's looking at everything through this more holistic lens and bringing in experts from all sides so that we can all get this base level.
0: You practice what you preach. I mean, exactly what you're sharing now is what body writing method is. And I I find that is so unique to have all those perspectives represented. And so I, I will just say like, hands down, you know, I've been on faculty for three years and the OTs that I support so many who have taken your course, it is truly a life changer. It is a game shifter. Thank you. Um, so, so thank you for the work that you do the honor to be around this incredible community that you have built. Um, it is changing lives and it is just an honor to witness. So thank you.
1: Yes. Thank you for being with us. You know, when you say perspective, what I liked it, my example for the perspective, if you get like a, like, think of like a, like a toilet paper tube, if I'm only looking at it from here, this side, it looks like a rectangle. If I'm looking at it from this side, I think I'm seeing a circle. But it's when we draw ourselves out and we see it from all the sides, we're like, oh, it's neither a square. Well, it is a square and it is a circle, but it's really a tube, right? I Isn't love that. That's so
0: fantastic. I know I have
1: all my weird little things. Well, thank you, Lindsay, for being here and we will talk again soon and we will see you in the Body Ready Method. Sounds great, Lindsay. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Pros Talk Pregnancy. We are passionate about making the childbearing years better and as professionals, when we work together, that is when we see the greatest shifts. Is there a topic that you would like for us to dig into with an amazing birth pro that you know? Or do you have a question around pregnancy, birth, or recovery that no one has quite yet been able to answer? We wanna bring you the topics that you want to know about so please submit a question, topic, or guest suggestion for the chance for it to become our next podcast episode at www.bodyreadymethod.com slash podcast submit. See you next time.